Coming up on Bulldogs by the Numbers, Brent and I will talk about Georgia versus Cincinnati, why that matchup is unique, and something that we haven't seen from a Georgia team before. They've not been put in this situation, and we'll explain why in just a moment, as well as why Alabama is giving Georgia the roadmap to being elite, and they better put this roadmap to use very, very soon. Talk about that coming up here on Bulldogs by the Numbers. Marketing is everywhere. From the billboards on the highways to the notifications on your phone, we are constantly bombarded with people trying to sell us stuff. What makes good marketing? Are you doing enough in your life personally and professionally to market yourself? You have questions, and the Marketing Mad Men have answers. Search the Marketing Mad Men on Google or your favorite podcast provider to get practical marketing advice from expert guests who are shaping and reshaping the business world. They say marketing is a madman's game. Join the Marketing Mad Men every Saturday at 4 p.m. to find out why. Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash john. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Tug Cowart from 680 The Fan, as well as Brent Rollins from PFF College, and then UGASports.com. Let's start with the, the bowl game, because Georgia's in a unique situation, Brent, that they've probably never really been in before, where it's their offense that's the highlight of the team, led by JT Daniels, and Cincinnati's defense is the juggernaut, if you will. So it'll be Georgia's offense versus Cincinnati's defense. It's usually the exact opposite with the dogs. That's the matchup that, to me, is the most intriguing, just because Cincinnati plays a great brand of defense and they do it much like Mississippi State does in terms of how they play and the alignment they play. They're also very good on the edges. A couple really good edge defenders who get after the quarterback big time. They have some great cornerbacks, some really great secondary players and I think that's going to be the interesting thing in watching this game as, as much as anything. One, how Georgia blocks their edge defenders and then two, how well do they handle the coverage and, and the skill that Cincinnati actually has in the back end because they have some players back there. Let's dive into some of the players that they have on defense, Brent. Uh, give me the guys that you've watched and graded the highest. Well, the first one is, like I talked about just a second ago, the edge defenders that they have. I, I really, I'm going to butcher his first name, but it's Majai, M-Y-J-A-I Sanders. He's actually one of the highest graded edge defenders in the entire FBS. Gets after the quarterback at a very high rate, very high pass rush grade, 87 overall grade, 90.2 pass rush grade, 40 total quarterback pressures. The other player for me that I want to watch just as much as any is Ahmad Gardner, the cornerback. He's a player who now in his second year has two years worth of elite level grades in, in our system. As a true freshman last year, was one of the highest graded cornerbacks in the country. And then again, this year, very high grades, very high coverage grades. He's not allowed a touchdown in his career. He has six career interceptions and 14 career pass breakups. And he's got the length that you could see him in a Pickens in a matchup a lot of times against George Pickens. What do you think that matchup will do? Do you think Pickens is able to, to outdo it? It's more of everybody around what George's offense is becoming. And the key word is becoming, it's getting there. And I think because of the depth of targets that you can go out in terms of Burton, Washington, now we saw him against Missouri becoming involved in the passing game. You've even sprinkled in a little bit of Demetrius Robertson here and there. You've used the backs, you know, the touchdown to Cook out of the backfield. You're starting to use the backs more so. So when you have a depth of targets that you can go to and not necessarily hone in on one player, 
it allows the matchup with Pickens to be and allows you to also move him around, not just focusing in on him. And I think that's where Georgia's offense is getting is to where every back, every receiver is a true threat in the passing game. You're right. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit when we get to the comparison between Georgia and Alabama and that roadmap that Georgia can get to be an elite program by following. And we'll get to that a little bit later in Bulldogs by the Numbers, Tug Cowart, along with Brent Rollins. Is there anybody else you wanted to cover? Uh, I mean, not on the defensive side of the ball. I, th- I mean, there's some other players that I think that are going to pop when you start watching them on film. And a lot of their defensive starters have a, at least 74 grade on defense. So they have a lot of just talent on that side of the ball. They've played one really, really good offense in UCF, and they give up 33 points. It's going to be interesting to see how their defense matches up against Georgia's offense. Yeah, that may be why Georgia's favored by a couple touchdowns. It may be 20 now. That doesn't shock me from a betting standpoint. What's going to happen here? Underdog battling to keep their undefeated season alive versus Georgia, who is probably has already had more opt-outs. The motivational part of this is going to be key. No doubt about it. Can Kirby keep those guys focused even with a bunch of opt-outs? It's a meaningless bowl game, but it's one that in Georgia's current situation, they need to win to keep that momentum that they finished the season with and want to head into next season with. Yeah, and I think even last year, you saw last year, you know, after losing in the SEC championship game, Georgia could have completely mailed in the bowl game. And they did Much like they did against Texas. And they didn't. Even this season, they could have completely mailed in the last few games. You could have seen a ton of opt-outs, and you didn't. So I think from a motivation standpoint, what Georgia is going to find out over the next you know week and a half of practice, two weeks of practice, is who wants to play and who wants to yeah. be there. And they're going to, those guys that want to play and want to be there, those are the guys you're going to see in the game on New Year's Day. All right, quickly, let's flip over to uh, Cincinnati on the offensive side of the ball and Georgia on the defense. When you look at Cincinnati's offenses, it's quarterback-driven, and Desmond Ritter is a really, really good player for them. And he brings both, obviously, a passing and rushing threat. He has a 77 overall grade. His pass grade is not as great, but what he's done as a runner, you know, he's added over 600 yards rushing, 12 touchdowns rushing. It's forced a lot of missed tackles in the run game. So his threat with his legs, and it's kind of split. You know, They do have some design, maybe four to five design, runs for him per game, but he also scrambles a good bit. So Georgia's defense against now a running quarterback, or at least a threat of the run at quarterback, which they haven't seen a lot of this season. And they've been more hurt by the sort of drop back quarterback. So it's going to be an interesting matchup for their defense as well. And they just need to play well and keep playing well. Yeah, and I think they will. I, I don't have a big fear of Georgia dropping to Cincinnati in the bowl game. But look, anything can happen as reason you play the game, and that's the big argument against Ohio State being in the college football playoff if you listen to guys like Dabo Sweeney. He's like, playing matters. And I heard uh, Matt Stinchcomb on 680 The Fan with Buck and Hutt, and he was telling Hudson, there is a real reason that you actually play these games, and he feels the same way that uh, Dabo Sweeney does. If you don't play the, enough games to get in, you shouldn't be able to get in. You don't take the abuse that changes the dynamic of your team, like losing a Jalen Waddle for Alabama – that other teams have to go through. Yeah. So, so the last thing I heard, I lost you. Uh, I heard Matt Stitchcomb on Sixteen Fan on Buck and Hut. That was the last thing I heard. Yeah, he was and just you, he, yeah, cool, yeah. cool. All right, so we cl- uh, is it sound clear now? Yeah, yeah, I got you now. Cool, cool. All right, yeah. Basically, I just said Matt came on and said the same thing that uh, that Dabo has kind of said. Look, playing games are important, and I used the example of Alabama because they played. 11 games, lost Jalen Waddle. That was a huge loss, a game-changing loss that Ohio State hasn't had to face. No. When you think about this year in the playoff as much as any, this would have been the year where the four spot, even the three or four spot, could have been a lot different. 
While I probably don't necessarily argue with Ohio State, and I'm more so the fourth spot is the one that I would argue for changing. With Ohio State, if they played three more games, they were going to win those three games. There's not anyone that they're not going to beat in the Big Ten. I think everybody agrees with that. It's just the dynamic of not having to play those games and your team not getting beat up like every other team has gotten playing eight and nine and 10, 11 games. And actually, when you think about Ohio State versus Clemson, in the playoff this year versus that same matchup a year ago. What was the big difference in that matchup a year ago? Fields' knee was an issue. He was dinged up in that matchup last year and really wasn't a threat whatsoever as a runner. That's not the case now. The fact that his legs are, are not a problem this year, I could see that being a, a much different game and, and just as close as it was and just as good as the game last year. I have a hard time when a team doesn't play. I don't think Ohio State deserved to be in. Not that they're not a great team. I just don't think they played enough football to deserve to be in. That's my issue with it. Notre Dame, like them or not, and know they're going to get waxed by Alabama. But I do believe, like if you look at the resume, they probably deserve to be in. This is one of those years where best versus deserve is such a great argument because of that reason. Notre Dame is not one of the four best. But like you said, they did beat Clemson. Granted, Clemson didn't have their quarterback. Clemson didn't have their quarterback on defense. Correct. They still beat them. And I think what you're talking about with what's going to happen for them in that game, I think you're probably right. Because if you look at Notre Dame, they played basically four big-time games starting with the BCS championship against Alabama in 2013, 2012, 2013. That game, they played a college football playoff semifinal against Clemson. They played in the Fiesta Bowl against Ohio State, a highly ranked Ohio State team. And then this past weekend in the ACC championship. So four basically championship type games. They've been outscored 30, basically 38 to 14 on average. The closest game was a 16-point loss to Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah, was it uh, since 2000? I think they're just 1-17 in against top five opponents, 0-4 under Brian Kelly. So it Mm -hmm. tells you pretty much all you need to know about uh, what's going to happen. That's why we play the game, and that's my point. That's why I don't have a problem with them being in. However, Ohio State, on the other hand, I think they're the better team, but do not deserve to be in. Right. Do you go by deserving or best team? That's the way I feel about it. Who would have been your fourth? Probably A&M. You would have put A&M there? Probably so, yeah. Yeah, What about you? I don't really know. (laughs) I don't really. I think A&M is probably, and by the way, if you look, did you see Kirby Smart's coach's ballot? I did, yes. Uh, And he had A&M, Florida, and Alabama as as three of the four. Yes. So, you know, when you you think about that from a deserving standpoint, you know, they, they did go, you know, eight and one. And against the entire SEC schedule, yes, I think you could make that case that they were very much that that next deserving team. I got to be honest, and I hate saying it, and I I feel like I need to spit after I do, but I think Florida was probably the fourth best team in the country. They they totally obviously laid an egg against LSU on the road. They didn't have pits. They weren't mentally prepared. And and that's that's the anti-Ohio State argument. Those things can happen when you play the game. When you think about great – even just general personal greatness or any any sort of greatness in the NFL, what gets you in the Hall of Fame in sports and all those things. It's not just about one or two games or one season. It's about consistent greatness. And that's, I think, coaches as much as anything, when you look at the entirety of a season, they look at great as, hey, are you consistently good game after game after game after game? And that and not having those Florida you know, against LSU type lapses. Yeah. So that's definitely the anti-Ohio State argument is that round. But, I mean, if you watch the SEC championship, Florida's a dadgum good team, man. And I yes. hate to say it. It hurts to say it. But they are. 
Yeah, but they also got over 600 yards and 52 points put up against them. They did, no doubt about <laughs> but it. They but, can score. But they, they can, can score. score. And those two players, Tony and Pitts, are just two phenomenal and players. And Trask. Who are, and Trask as well. Trask as well. But when you got those two guys and you can put it in a spot where you know they're going to get it, like a couple of the, pit, the catches that Pitts made, yeah, unreal. He's going to be a top 10 pick. This is Bulldogs by the numbers. When we continue, the final steps needed, and I'm using Brent's words here, the final steps needed for Georgia's offense to be elite. We'll talk about that next on Bulldogs by the numbers. This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Marketing is everywhere. From the billboards on the highways to the notifications on your phone, we are constantly bombarded with people trying to sell us stuff. What makes good marketing? Are you doing enough in your life personally and professionally to market yourself? You have questions, and the Marketing Mad Men have answers. Search the Marketing Mad Men on Google or your favorite podcast provider to get practical marketing advice from expert guests who are shaping and reshaping the business world. They say marketing is a madman's game. Join the Marketing Mad Men every Saturday at 4 p.m. to find out why. This is Bulldogs by the Numbers. The final steps needed for Georgia's offense to be elite. Brent wrote about it. We're going to talk about it. He wrote about it at UGASports.com. You can read it there. Let's start with Georgia's offensive coordinators because they look very different. Well, and you think about over the past three years, that's three different coordinators they've had. 18, 19, and now in 2020, that's three years, three different coordinators from Jim Chaney in 2018 to James Coley in 2019 and now Todd Monken. And each has done something a little slight different in terms of what they do but when you think about the big picture things of what an offensive coordinator does is it how you use your personnel you know run pass distribution what are the various schemes you use in in the running game when you look at the three years of the of the coordinators really this year is the first that there's been slight changes to that think back to Jim Chaney in 2018 his was very run heavy but it's from a personnel standpoint, him, Coley, and Munkin, very similar in terms of how they use the personnel and how much you know 12 versus 11 type personnel they use. James Coley brought a little bit more of the passing game and a little bit different things to the running game scheme. But this year, when you have with Monken and then also Matt Luke being there as offensive line coach, associate head coach, they've added a lot more pulling, a lot more counter pull and lead to their running game. They're really not that different only small changes to certain things. And, and when we think about what they need to do, Alabama is providing that blueprint. We've said that before, and I've been saying it for a while now, but now I just sort of wrote about all the data. By the way, that one's not, this article is not even behind the paywall. Anyone and everyone can go read that one. What we just saw this past weekend from Alabama and what they did to Florida, who, yes, Florida's defense is not that great, but they still have some supremely talented players on their defense and guys who are going to play in the NFL. And Alabama just diced them. Hot, you know, what's the phrase? Hot about knife the through butter. There you go. Hot knife through butter. That phrase, that was that was what they did to them. Over 600 yards, 52 points. Their quarterback was over 400 yards and five touchdowns. And Najee Harris still had almost 180 running. The balance and ability to be both run dynamic and passing Alabama has created is 
is giving Georgia the blueprint. Don't go two runs, then pass when you have to. It's passing early. And when you look back at the the data over the past few years, Georgia, look at overall pass percentage, pass versus run. They've been relatively balanced, a little more so run heavy in, in the chain of years in 17 and 18 with a freshman quarterback and then in 18 with just the the dynamic facts that they had. But overall, and even when you take, especially when you take out what we call garbage time, end of game where it's just, you know, running the ball to run out the clock kind of thing. When you take that out, it's been basically balanced for Georgia. But the key is the early downs. And when I mean, when I say early downs, first and second down, that number has still been right at 60-40 in terms of percentage run versus percentage pass. Those numbers went got a little bit better this year with Todd Munkin. You were about 45% passing on first and second down. With JT Daniels, it ticked up just even a little bit more. But when you look at the difference in what Alabama does, once Mac Jones has been at quarterback, that's where we really need to start looking at this because Tua still had some running ability. Mac Jones is truly more of a pocket passer. They've been about a little over 51% pass on early downs. And what they do more than anyone on early downs is get explosive plays. Best in the FBS this year in explosive pass percentage and I think 13th in explosive run percentage on early downs. So on first and down, staying out of third down as much as possible. The second one would be using play action. But the key is, is that Georgia now has gone over the past three years with these three different coordinators and never been higher than 43rd in the Power Five. When you, Power Five plus Notre Dame is 65 teams. They're in the bottom third in using play action, even though they're someone who is committed to the running game. And that's where the disconnect has been. And Alabama does that as much as anyone. Mac Jones, almost 48% of his dropbacks use play action. And if you look at the tape and really look, and there's some clips in the article that we, that we have on UJSports.com, a lot of times Alabama doesn't use, it's not like they're doing this and having five receivers out in a the pattern. They're doing this with three and sometimes even two receivers in the pattern where we're just going to max protect, give our guy a clean pocket, bring you in a little bit with the running game fake, and then just let our receivers and our great players on the outside go to work and be better on you and throw an accurate ball. Those two things combined together gives you just explosive play after explosive play, and they did it ad nauseum against Florida. Do you see Georgia following that pattern? What do the numbers say about Georgia? Are they trending that direction, and will they continue to trend that direction? They are trending that direction from a throwing the ball and getting explosive on early downs. Once JT, Especially once JT Daniels took over. Once JT Daniels took over, that, that explosive play percentage significantly improved, especially on first and second down. It basically doubled from earlier in the season. They were one of the lowest in the Power Five, and that number doubles. And over the last part, last month of the season, they were one of the best in the FBS in creating explosive plays, especially on early downs. So the quarterback obviously brings a lot to that. So there's elements to that that are improving. But the play action part has basically been the same. They've been around 25% play action over the past three years. It really hasn't changed much. And I think that's one. That's the next step. That's sort of step two in this three-step process for them to evolve and really get into that. Because guess what? When you look at the top 20 scoring offenses in the entire FBS, so that that's everywhere. That's Kent State. That's Ohio State. That's out of the top 20 in the FBS. Only three of those teams – use play action less than 35% of the time. So when you think about what all these elite offenses and the ones that are scoring at a high rate, they all use play action heavily because they know it works. And the key is that it works independent. And and there's tons of data out there. There's articles that we could link to and whatnot, but it works independent of how good your running game is. But here's the key. Georgia's running game has been good. They need to use it more, bottom line. 
Will they? That's the question that I have, right? Do you see <laughs> them actually doing it? I think you will. But the interesting thing about with Todd Monken is you haven't seen a lot of that in his pro offenses. And obviously this is more of a pro style offense that they have. So hopefully it's something where, you know, maybe that maybe this article gets in the coaching room or who knows what and they, they look at it and they evaluate it over the over the course of the offseason and, and it becomes more of a part of their offense because while JT Daniels you know, once he's fully healthy, hopefully is is more of a you know has some mobility. He's not a true threat to you know, do anything much with his legs. He never really has been. So because of that, you have to find ways to keep him protected, and you can't just focus on you know using your five offensive linemen to protect him. You got to do other things to protect him. Let's move along because there's one more thing. The third and final piece is the use of shifts and motions to get the matchups that you're looking for against a defense. This is everywhere now, and when I say everywhere, I'm, I'm at the elite college level, and then also in the NFL. The, the offenses in the NFL, when you think of elite offenses and or elite offensive coordinators in the NFL, the Chiefs, the 49ers with Kyle Shanahan, the Bills now with Brian Dayball, they are using shifts and motions on about two-thirds of their plays at or above 60% of the time. Alabama does the same thing. Alabama was second in the entire FBS in using shifts and motions on the plays, and we've seen it. Think back to the Georgia-Alabama game, the big Jalen Waddle touchdown. There was slight motion on the outside coming in that caused a the moment of confusion between Tyree Stevenson and Tyson Campbell that led to Waddle's big touchdown play that gave him the lead. Even when you look at the game this past weekend against Florida, Wide open touchdown for Devontae Smith, a guy who might win the Heisman, was left completely wide open because of what the shift of in motion of Najee Harris right before the ball was snapped, what it did to the defense, where it took their eyes, where it took their movement, it left the void for Devontae Smith to, to find. So using that, and Georgia's done a little bit, and that's from a trend standpoint, is Georgia going to do that next season? It's starting to get there. It ticked up a little bit with it massively ticked up when James Coley came aboard last year. So he got up into the teens in terms of the FBS overall and using it. I think he's right around 53%. It settled at a right around 50% this year with Todd Monken. But when once JT Daniels came into the picture, they actually were at 62% over the final month there with, with him at quarterback of using shifts and motions on the one place. That has to continue. And a lot of times when you think about it from an offensive coordinator perspective, it's now that I have my quarterback and the quarterback that I believe in and can and make the accurate throws and do the things that I want to do, now I can create the matchups that I want to create because that's what these things, it does more than anything else. It gives you the matchup you want. It gives you your best receiver on a linebacker or a safety. It gives you your running back on a linebacker. It gives you your great tight end on a, you know, a linebacker who's not really good in coverage. It puts your players in the best position to succeed. And I think if you combine those three things, start throwing more on early downs, especially using play action on early downs, and then lastly, keeping involvement in the use of shifts and motions, you do those three things with the talent they have. That's the utter key with all of this. None of it matters without the talent part. And Georgia is on the level of Alabama from a talent standpoint now on the offensive side of the ball. Georgia, when you think about Offenses that can do this, offenses that can be physical in the run game like Alabama while also having great talent on the outside and beating people on one-on-one matchups on the outside. There's only a few teams in college football that have the offensive line talent, the, the talent in the running back position, basically the talent everywhere to do those things. Georgia is one of those teams. And from a talent perspective, it's there now. The receiver room especially 
it's to the point next year when you have a lot of these guys who have, you think are just going to continue just to develop and get better. Pickens, Burton, Rosemary Jackson, Arian Smith with his speed, all the things that you can do there, Darnell Washington at tight end. When you have those players, you can do these things and create this. And I think when, if you would ask Kirby Smart, if you would ask Nick Saban, what kind of offense do they want? They want this because they still want to be physical in the run game and take over time to possession and just pound it down your throat when they when they have to or when they want to. And that's what these offenses can do while also being analytically sound and being explosive in the passing game. That is the roadmap to Georgia being an elite program. Just follow what Alabama's done and you're going to be just fine. Some people would argue they're already an elite team. I I, I think they're a very, very good team on the cusp of elite. Not quite elite yet. But that's just my well, you're opinion. You're not there until you win a championship, right? Yeah, that's yeah, right. I think that's correct. Yeah, it's the last hurdle that they got to get over, and they've been knocking on the door, knocking on the door, and now just I think if they go look to the west and go look to their biggest sort of their biggest hurdle, and that's Alabama, they have 100% given them this is this is how you do it in a way that I think meshes with what your coach wants to do and how your coach wants to play offensive football and complimentary football with his defense when we come back on bulldogs by the numbers we'll wrap up the show i'll give you some historical facts about georgia versus cincinnati as we head into the peach bowl and we'll give our predictions as well but the historical facts are the ones that i think you'll find the most interesting next on bulldogs by the numbers my name is tug cower from the fan 680 93.7 fm along with brent rollins from uga sports.com as well as pro football focus Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com john. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Marketing is everywhere. From the billboards on the highways to the notifications on your phone, we are constantly bombarded with people trying to sell us stuff. What makes good marketing? Are you doing enough in your life personally and professionally to market yourself? You have questions, and the Marketing Mad Men have answers. Search the Marketing Mad Men on Google or your favorite podcast provider to get practical marketing advice from expert guests who are shaping and reshaping the business world. They say marketing is a madman's game. Join the Marketing Mad Men every Saturday at 4 p.m. to find out why. This is Bulldogs by the Numbers. I'm going to give you some historical reference for the University of Georgia versus Cincinnati, which is coming up in the Peach Bowl on January 1st. I understand the the game has been moved to 1230 from a 12 o'clock kickoff, so uh, that's one change that you may or may not know about. UGA, 2-0 against Cincinnati. They beat the Bearcats in 76 in Athens, 31-17. And then uh, back in the day in 1942, which was a national championship year for the Bulldogs, they beat them 35-13. What do you expect out of this year? I actually, I think you're going to get a, what whomever is there. I think you're going to get a motivated Georgia team. I think you've seen throughout this, you know, the, the Baylor game last year and then throughout this season, you've seen a group that no matter the circumstance has played with energy. I think that's going to continue. I think Cincinnati's going to play with as much energy as possible. But I think eventually the physical nature of Georgia, both on the defensive line, their defensive line against Cincinnati's offense, and Georgia's offensive line against Cincinnati's defense, I think wins out, and Georgia wins you know, by a couple touchdowns. That's what I expect too, man. No difference there. You know, I don't believe that Cincinnati should have been in the college football playoff. Some people do. 
I just don't see Cincinnati being able to compete with two teams in the semifinal and then in the national championship of the caliber of Alabama, Clemson. Look, maybe they could hang with Notre Dame. You could make an argument for that one, probably. I think Ohio State would wax the floor with them as well. Maybe this is the time when we need to have a group of five national championship. That way we eliminate all this nonsense about having them in the you know the college football playoff. I've heard that tossed around. If it was the case, and we had you know a four team playoff in the group of five, I'd watch it. Yeah, me too. It'd be great. It'd be great football. Me it'd be great too. tape for those kids who want to you know put put more on tape for the NFL. I think you're right. It'd be great. I'd watch it. We watch a bunch of horrible, no good for nothing bowls because there's nothing else on, and we love football. So why wouldn't we watch really good group of five teams play? It makes no sense not to have a national championship there. I'm surprised because I've not heard anybody discussing it. I thought I was the only one bringing that up, but uh, apparently I am wrong about that. I want to let you know about UGASports.com and ProFootballFocus.com, PFF.com. Click on subscribe. It's the best way to get the information for the first time this year, PFF, allowing you to buy access to the college grades. It's $30 for the year. Premium starts at $120 or at UGASports.com, $99.95 a year. I'm a member there. You get UGA insider information, recruiting, and all things dogs i hope you have a merry christmas and a happy new year for this season the the final podcast for bulldogs by the numbers following the uh the peach bowl versus cincinnati but uh wish you nothing but the best in the new year bud merry christmas and a happy new year to you too sir the southeast is braves country so for the latest on the atlanta braves subscribe to the braves clubhouse report dropping every wednesday afternoon with kevin McAlpin and the voice of the braves ben ingram the atlanta braves are once again champions of the national league east and for even more braves you can also subscribe to kmax weekly braves podcast and be on top of the latest braves news before anyone else Subscribe to the Braves Clubhouse Report and Braves Weekly wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Marketing is everywhere. From the billboards on the highways to the notifications on your phone, we are constantly bombarded with people trying to sell us stuff. What makes good marketing? Are you doing enough in your life personally and professionally to market yourself? You have questions and the Marketing Mad Men have answers. Search the Marketing Mad Men on Google or your favorite podcast provider to get practical marketing advice from expert guests who are shaping and reshaping the business world. They say marketing is a madman's game. Join the Marketing Mad Men every Saturday at 4 p.m. to find out why. A lifetime of hard work. Children laughing in the kitchen. Family photos on a restaurant wall. A legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation, like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC.